Oftentimes we tie Ezekiel 38 and 39 with Revelation 20 with the battle of Armageddon. I think there's more areas that distinguish each one of these battles as two separate battles than what distinguish them to be the same battle. And uh, we're going to look at a few of them. My thought is this. If Israel is going to sign a peace treaty and be at peace for a number of years and it's said that that peace is broken in the middle of the seventh year that Israel cannot be at peace or given peace in the middle and then broken at the same time. That there has to be something going on pre. And then the next thought I have would be this. What would cause Israel to put its trust into someone else or some other nation or some other leader? that it would sign a peace treaty. Another thing is that in Thessalonians and in Daniel both, allows us to know that the lawless one or Satan or the beast breaks that peace treaty in the three and a half years. Now, if that peace treaty is broke in the three and a half years, and they're sacrificing, that temple had to be built, that treaty had to be either signed prior to, there had to be some other things that took place that leads up to that three and a half years where desolation takes place and the sacrifices end. Something else has to take place. Go with me to Daniel, chapter 9. Look with me in verse 27. It says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one-seventh in the middle of the seventh. He will put an end to sacrifice. The Antichrist, the lawless one, the beast, said it, it will put an end, although they have entered into this covenant. And the question has to be, when was the covenant entered into? It could not have been entered into in that three and a half year period and then broken also in that three and a half year period. Because somewhere Israel had become quite comfortable. And I think Ezekiel gives us a little bit a look into that in Ezekiel 38 where the people are quite comfortable in their setting in their homes in the world right now Israel right now doesn't feel secure in the world <laughs> but something's going to happen between the rest of the nations and Israel that Israel will feel pretty secure and safe Israel doesn't have that security right now. They don't have that sense of safety right now. And he says, In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that Matthew 24 also tells us about. That's, see, that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out. Come with me in verse 31 of chapter 11 of Daniel. His army forces will rise up to desecrate the temple 
fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. So somewhere Israel had gotten very comfortable with their sacrifices. Now, it is noted from after 1948, Israel began to declare it was going to rebuild its temple. General Moshe Diane, during the Six-Day Wars, after the Six-Day Wars, made this statement. Our next great war will not be with the Arabs. It will be with Russia. That document is one of his statements. That our next great war will not be with the Arabs. It will be with Russia. And it says the forces come against Israel and the temple and desecrate it and stop their daily sacrifice. Then they will set up an abomination that causes desolation. At that point, that one who seemed to be a friend, that one who somewhat guaranteed peace, that one person in which everybody had become very comfortable with, stands up and says, in a sense, I'm God. I'm God. Now, understand, it's not just Israel being deceived by this one. It has to be nations, the whole world, that's being deceived. Now, how will something like that take place? Go with me to Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. I will submit to you that you should be able to see some of it taking place today. Um... Let me get there. Amos, Amos, where art thou? I'm in Amos, now I gotta find my verse. Amos four. I can't call my verse to mind for I had it all in this morning. It's about somebody very quickly help me if you can scan it real quick. It's talking about a famine of God's word. That there will be a famine in the land. But the famine will not be for food. It's going to be for God's word. Four six, thank you. My eyes won't focus nothing now. Yes, let's read it. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Nope, that's not it. Is one for okay, it popped into my mind and now it's out. Eight eleven. Let's, let's take a look and see. Yes. I'm I'm sorry. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Now now look what he's declaring. He's gonna send a famine. People, we may be living in that famine today. People really are hungry for the Word of God. They just don't know it. 
They're like a child that is hungry who will take a sucker rather than a nutritious meal. That will take the candy bar rather than a meal that is healthy for them. And we are much like that in life. We ourselves will accept something else that we think is better than the word. Thinking we're going to satisfy our spiritual hunger. And there is a famine in our land. Look how many churches carry Bibles to to church today. Look how many people are reading their Bibles. Look how many people desire to even know the word of God. There's a famine in the land. Though they want it, they don't know what they want. Have you ever been that way about dinner? What do you want for dinner, honey? Well, I really don't know. And he says there's a famine in the land. And I think because Christians would have put their Bibles down and people have stopped reading the Bible, it's going to be so easy for this lawless one to set up, for the beast to set up, for the Antichrist to set up because of our ignorance to the Word of God. And we're all going to be crying for something. As we look into Ezekiel 38, we're all going to be crying for somebody to bring peace. To bring peace, to give us peace. To cause the wars to cease. We're going to be looking for somebody. Run over real quick to Matthew twenty four fifteen. He says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that calls the desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Who's going to be reading? Who's going to have the knowledge? Who's going to be there to be able to say, this person is not who he's trying to declare himself to be. Who's going to be there to say that? Second Thessalonians 2.4 Second Thessalonians 2.4 And He says, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Now, there has to be a certain type of environment that is already set and present for somebody to stand up and exalt themselves and people accept it. There has to be already a preconditioning of the mind and the heart for people to accept that. There has to be a real longing and fear in people that they're going to just accept somebody as though they are accepting that this is our last hope, our last chance. But times are going to be in such that people are going to be looking for a Savior that they'll miss the true Savior. Again, the next war that Israel worried about it's not so much with Arabs, but it is with Russia. In Ezekiel 38, 5, it says, in verse 6, 5 and 6, five other nations join Russia. We already know Persia is Iran. Nixon, when he was in office, Nixon had an emergency meeting with Congress over the issue that Russia had invaded Afghanistan. Now, 
That's over with. But today in the paper and to today in news, who's becoming very friendly? Russia and Iran. Russia and Iran are starting to begin a relationship and friendship never had before. And yet, Persia is Iran. Then there's Kush, that is Ethiopia. And then there's Put, which is Libya. How many of you are seeing what's taking place in Libya today? Unsettled government. Don't know which way it's going to go. Don't know whose hands they're going to wind up in. Gomer, which is Germany. Germany, for the first time, really entered into talks some with Russia, even though it was over the Ukraine area. But just think about it. From the time of Reagan to this time, Germany has not had a lot to say to Germany because Russia held part of Germany under communism. Beth Tagarma is Turkey. If you look at Turkey, it's the old Ottoman Empire that captured Israel and all that land before World War II, then before the British stepped back in, the Ottoman Empire, Turkey. And Iran and all the Arab countries are still looking for Turkey to rise up. And then it says, and this is the part, turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. Boy, of what it says in that verse. I'm going to end up with verse 6. It says, The many nations with you. The many nations with you. So he gives us a group of nations that will be with Gog. Let's go back up a little bit. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Misha and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Misha and Tubal. Gog is the chief prince. Has power over these other cities, over these other territories. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your hordes, your horsemen, fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them banishing their swords. Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, and also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth to Gomer from the far north with all of its troops, the many nations with you. Now, he talks about many nations. When we get into chapter 20 of Revelation, it's all nations. Not just many, but all nations. And that's one of the distinctions between, I think, what takes place in 20 of Revelation and 38 and 39 here. That there are many in the five nations and many nations, but in Revelation, it says all the nations. Why? Because in Joel and Ezekiel, it declares that all nations will come against Israel. Here is not all nations. And it defines it by using this word. They come from the north. Where the others, they will come from the east, the south, the west, the north, them all. 
He goes down a little bit further, and we're going to see this area of safety that is there with Israel. He says in verse 9, come down with me. You and all your troops and many nations with you will go up advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, us will come into your mind. And you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land. Unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful An unsuspecting people. Israel has so settled in. Now understand when the scripture used walls in ancient times, walls were built around cities for what purpose? For protection. Now these walls are what? They're down. They're down. There's a false security that is there. That somehow among the nations now, we are safe. And it says the unsuspected people. Show me a nation today that Israel really trusts. Oftentimes we will talk about America, but even now Israel is a little bit reluctant about who? America. But here it says, boy, they're not suspecting anybody to what? To rise up against them, to attack them. They have somehow through this covenant, through this time, they're at peace. And somehow the rest of the world most likely see themselves at peace too because this has always been somewhat the trouble part of the world. And it says one of the things that the lawless one does and the beast do, that they deceive. But something's going to break out so terribly that we're all going to be crying. All the nations are going to be crying for peace. And this lawless one is going to be able to set up. It's not that he does it all of a sudden. He's on the scene working now. He's on the scene working in our minds and our hearts. Satan is settled. And Satan knows where he want to be at in 10 years, 20 years. So he's conditioning a younger generation, whether or not if they believe or not. He's even conditioning sometimes an older generation, questioning, is the Bible really true? It may have grown up with it. Satan is busy setting up an environment that this lawless one will be able to stand up one day and say, I'm God. See what I've done? Because who's going to be able to quell the war that has taken place? Who will be able to do that? I want you to go to the last verse of 38 because I want you to see something in this of why God allows Ezekiel 38 to take place. And I want you to think about the condition in which the verse itself then talks about that God would have to go to such an extreme and he speaks about in 38 and in chapter 39 that about his glory and and, and about his name and about him being known he he says at the end of 38 he says and so I will show my greatness in 23 I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known in the sight of what? Many nations. I'm going to make myself known in the sight of many, not just Israel, but in the sight of many nations. God now has to make himself known in the sight of many nations. What is he saying? There are nations upon nations, millions of people who no longer even what? Acknowledge that he is or he exists. 
And he says, I'm going to do something that shocks them, wakes them up, at least let them know, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And it brings you back then where you have to make a choice. Did man do this or did God do this? Did man bring about this peace? Did man defeat this army? Did man do something or did God do it? And he says, boy, I'm going to do this. And they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord. Go over to chapter 39. Come over to verse 21. I will display my glory among the nations. Again, he's not just talking about Israel. The nations there is plural. God says, I'm going to show my glory among the nations. And we'll see the punishment I inflicted. And the hand I laid upon them. Who is it them? Russia. And those cohorts of Russia. That he is the one. But then, Israel, after going through this war and so forth, a, such a fear comes upon. Who will cause me to be safe? Who is it? And I think Israel at that point goes into this covenant with whoever that person is that somehow can make the nations feel at peace. Even though it's a false peace, he will make the nations feel as though he's in charge and he can bring them peace and he can bring them together and it enters into the tribulation part even with that peace but at that three and a half year point that peace is broken but there has to have something that took place prior to that caused Israel to even enter into a covenant now, some have suggested the Antichrist might be a Jew. I don't know. Some have said he might be an Arab, a Ma. I don't know. What I do know is this here. He's going to be such an excellent con man and a deceptor that he's not just going to fool the nation of Israel. He's going to fool nations. He's going to fool nations. Now, some may ask, why would Russia want to even attack Israel? Why would Russia even want to go after Israel? Um, come on down with, with me into um, verse 12 in Ezekiel 38. Come to verse 12. It talks about the walls being down without gates, without bars, because Israel is totally, boy, feeling a sense of security. But then in verse 12 it says, I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living in the center of the land. The center of the land. Where are they living at? In the center of the land. In the middle. One translation says, in the navel of the land. The navel is usually considered the center of the body. That they're in the center there. And Israel has always been like in the center. It has been stated, anyone who wants to control the world has to control that part of the world. Because it links three continents. Europe, Asia, and Africa. It is the center. And it links. And whoever wants to control has to control that part of the world. Israel, again, you may 
Say, what's so important about Israel? Just, just think with me for a moment. Here's this little country. In the last ten years, Israel has been reported that Israel may have a richer oil field than anywhere else in the world. <laughs> they have more oil, but they need the land for housing. <laughs> They need the land for farming. They need the land for... But they have such a rich oil deposit is being declared. Secondly, hunger. Israel land produces food. As long it produces enough food, it, it is declared that it can feed over half the world. Now, how does a little country like that produce so much fruit? Oh, here's that promised land growing... Flowing with milk and honey now. And Israel's flowing that way. And just think about it. Before Israel went there, it was all desert land. Nobody wanted to be there. It was desert land. Now that land is flourishing. And you can grow anything there in Israel. And it just grows abundantly. Thirdly, the Dead Sea. The salt which has been taken from the earliest times. Uh, I think we're finding out this winter we need salt. <laughs> Israel has an abundance of salt. As in the sea. It is rich in minerals. Israel exports one million tons of potash. You can't make your plant, your fertilizer, without potash. And Israel has the largest amount of potash than any other country in the world. Why would Russia want it? Why would some others want it? Russia have a hard time feeding its people. Russia needs everything that Israel possesses in a sense. Israel can supply potash for the next 200 years. Israel can. Scientists report, in general, information of all nations. And it has appeared that this little spot in the world has more mineral rights than anywhere else in the world. And it has a little nickname, the jewel box. Because of its richness. The jewel box of all that is there in that little land. And just in salt value alone, one trillion two hundred and seventy billion dollars worth. One trillion two hundred and seventy billion dollars worth. So in nineteen seventy, when President Nixon saw Russia move. He called for a meeting very quickly and saying the Soviet Union is moving into the eastern Mediterranean. It didn't matter which little country it was moving into. And it was Afghanistan. He was worried that their next move would be towards Israel. Towards Israel. And what is different here when you look at verse 13, he says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tasha and all her villages will say to you, Have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize much plunder? Now, what's so important about this verse is this, which sets it aside from Revelation chapter 20, is this. In Revelation chapter 20, no nation stands up to oppose. But here in this war, some of the nations stand up to oppose Russia because they know what Russia is going after. They know what Gog is going after. Where in Revelation, all nations are called to fight against the people of Israel, the people of God against Christ. Here is about spoils. It's about 
temporary richness of this world. But it is to allow Israel, who thought they were now living in safety, to wake up that they were not living in safety. And the world then sees this terrible war takes place. And the issue is, who will? Who will bring about peace among the nations? And whoever that person is that will give Israel peace for a while, and help them rebuild their temple because it's strange. It's been reported they've been training the priesthood. It's been reported they've been raising the red heifer. It's been reported that they're learning again how to sacrifice. The only thing that is waiting for is to rebuild the temple. What's holding them back? The time isn't there yet, but at some point it's going to be a right time when Israel will have a peace and again a false security that says we can move forward. That we can move forward. What we need to understand is that here in this area the Middle East is the hub between these three continents and Nobody, when you study war or the history of war, this area has had more war and battles because it's so strategic to any other area of the world to control three continents from within this area. Turn to Ezekiel 5.5. Look how the Lord placed this for his benefit and for his glory. Ezekiel 5.5 5. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem which I have set in the center of the nations. This is Jerusalem which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Where did God set her at? In the middle, in the center. And as we talked about last week, two weeks ago, Israel is the only group of people God gave land to. And it's the only group of people, in a sense, you could say God has preserved down through the years that his promise will come true in these latter days. There are a lot of nations that are no more. But Israel still sustained. A comparison of the two real quick. In Ezekiel, the main purpose is God to be known. In Revelation 20, it's not about God being known. It's about the defeat of Satan and his cohorts, the Antichrist. The Battle of Armageddon is all nations of the world that will come against Israel. That's even America, who is a friend, will turn his back on Israel. And somehow also be involved in that. Because the scripture makes it very clear. It's all nations that come against Israel. The Armageddon purpose is to annihilate the Jews in Christ. And to fight against Christ. And understand Armageddon takes place after what? The thousand year reign. So not that people don't know that Christ is Lord. And this blows your mind. That people have seen Christ for a thousand years and still rejecting. It is mentioned that you could be a hundred years old and you'll still be called a boy. But just think about it. That during the millennium time in which Christ is reigning, there will be people who will still reject him. 
They will see Him with their own eyes. And you have people always say, if I could only see Him with my own... They will see Him with their own eyes. You would think when it says that Satan went out to deceive the nation, there would be nobody to deceive because they have seen who? The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That there would be no one to deceive. But God is going to show us the hardness of man's heart and that man are not willing to submit to his authority or to his rule. Even though they see him face to face in a sense during the millennium period. It says he will rule with an iron hand. There might be a good reason that he has to rule with an iron hand. Because see, if everybody was under authority, you would need an iron what? (laughs) And there's a reason it lets us know he will rule with an iron hand for that millennium period. It goes on and allows us to know this. With Armageddon, as we read here in 13 and 38 of Ezekiel, that Dedan and Sheba, they kind of, and other nations, Tarsha, they went up in arms of what Russia is doing. Hey, you guys only went there to get the spoils. You went there to get the riches. You went there for this purpose. And they protested in a sense. You don't find that in Revelation 20. Anybody protesting. Nor do you find anybody protesting in chapter 19 or all the way through in a sense. A protest. And then Russia leaves these five nations with others. So it's five, a few others, but boy, nothing like all the nations that take place in Armageddon. God defeats the northern invaders in Ezekiel 38:22. He allows us to know that they will be defeated. And he says, I will execute judgment upon him with plagues and bloodsheds, and I will pour down torrents of rain and hailstorm and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on many nations with him. Um, come with me because this is one that I've been wrestling with to a certain degree because it tells us. He says, in chapter 39, he says, look at verse 7 with me first. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. And I will no longer let my holy name be profaned. And the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One of Israel. Come on down with me. Verse 9. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up the small and the large, shields and bows and arrows, the war clubs and spears. Now, now, what I want you to really catch is what's going to be said next. For seven years. For seven years, they will use them for fuel. Either the word seven years there is just symbolic, or is, is a period of time which they're going to be able to use the enemy's weapons to burn up and fuel. Now if it takes seven years, the tribulation is only seven years. <laughs> That's one of the strong points that I would take that this has to take place prior to. Because nowhere in Revelation does it mention anything about this. But the destructions of their weapons will take seven years. 
that they'll be able to use it for you. The other thing, time caught me. God has them to bury the bodies. And it says it takes seven months. And it says it even gives people employment to go out and bury the bodies. And it talks about, yes, similar to what is in Revelation, that the birds and so forth can come and feast, and animals can come feast, because they can't bury them so quick. But they're all buried. In Revelation, there's no burial. (laughs) There's no burial. There's no burial. I think we need to open our eyes. And we need to really take and keep a close watch on Russia, Israel, that Middle East. And we need to have a close watch even on America. Because in 1 Timothy 4, 2, 3, I think it's 19 characteristics that begin to be a failure for America and just the nations of people in general. That we will become lovers of ourselves. The only thing we care about is who? We'll become lovers of money. We don't care who you are. You can be my best friend if it comes between a dollar and George is better than you. And it talks about children being disrespectful towards parents. Do you see that on the rise? And it's going to get worse. And go through those 19 characteristics and you're going to see them. Hey. And it's just amazing of what you discover when you go through them. And the whole process is that we need to understand that here they are. They're there. And that the Lord is saying, boy, these are things that you need to really look at. Go to Second Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, starting with me in verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient. Do you see a society today that is becoming more and more disobedient? We're becoming more disobedient. We are solely disrespecting authority. We will even sign and say to people while they're sitting there, I'll obey this, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and then we'll what? We'll break it right now. We'll say to a police officer, right to their face, I'll do that, officer, thank you for warning me. I'll do and as soon as he leaves, we go right back to doing what? And that is intensifying. And we're all going to be looking for somebody who can bring peace in my neighborhood. Who can bring peace in my home between me and my children. Who can bring peace where I feel safe walking down the street. Who can do that? And this lawless one is going to stand up and say, I can't. And a lot of his miracles will be about that. And he says, boy, abusive, disobedience to their parents, ungrateful. Do you find people being ungrateful today? I don't care what you do for them, it's not enough, but they don't appreciate it. Ungrateful. We, we have coined it as the norm. Uh, they just getting over <laughs> And we think that's a way of life for people. Just getting over. See, for the Christian, God never meant for us just to get over. He meant for us to walk on higher planes. He will provide for us. 
I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. He will provide for us. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Are you seeing a height in slander today? Especially if you look at the political circle. Jed Bush trying to debate whether he's going to run for president. But the last guy he hired here last week is a guy who goes out and finds the worst things on the one that you're running against. Why would you hire somebody to go up and dig up somebody's dirt rather than talking about the issue? Have you ever seen a president so slandered as this president? But the slander, the disrespect. I don't agree with the man in, in, in some of his area, but he is the president. And when we lose respect for an office or for a uniform or for a person in authority and we can just slander them, it's saying something about us and our character. Talk about the issue, not so much the person. Well, time has grabbed us. But I want you to really take 38, 39, try to tear it apart and ask yourself, Lord, where does this really fit? Lord, is this one of the signs that I should be looking at? That yes, we're in the latter days. We're just before the tribulations will take place. That Lord, what is happening here? Keep your eyes on Russia and Iran. Keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on your community. Keep your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on what is happening. Because Satan is busy brainwashing. Amen? Father, Father, we thank you that, Lord, you give us your word, that, Lord, we can look into your word and we can be pre-warned. Because, Lord, you said we are the children of light, not of darkness. And that, Lord, we are a people, O God, that know that you're coming, Lord. And we're looking forward to your coming. And because we're looking forward to your coming, We're not fearful because, Lord, you've told us when these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draw nigh. We are a people who are rejoicing over these things taking place. Why? Because you are the God of your word. And, Lord, you tell us that when we have this hope in us of your coming, it will purify us. And Lord, may what we see take place cause us to walk closer to you. To cause us to get our house in order. To cause us to draw closer and in depth into your word. Lord, may it have a profound effect upon us. Because we believe that the last days and the tribulations are approaching us.